Today, we take a much-needed break from some of the news headlines that we have been discussing over prior weeks. And let's take on a different topic to, to understand the power of the reach of radio. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Now, I'll be honest, I had a totally different program planned for today. And I was looking for a couple of items on my computer, some audio clips that I wanted to share, just some short stuff. And I ran across something that I recorded a number of years ago, an interview with a good friend of mine. And I listened for a few minutes and I said, you know, a lot of what was being said back in 2000, I believe, 18, is just as relevant today as it was then, you know, about three years ago. And so I want to bring that interview back in in two parts today, uh, part one and part two in the first half of the program, and again, part two in the second half. It's an interview I did with Jeff White, who is the president, general manager of WRMI, the big shortwave facility that is the primary shortwave outlet for this particular program. When I recorded this program with Jeff, I never envisioned I'd be doing a five-day and plus weekend program on WRMI. Back then, it was simply your weekend show, one program recorded normally by Wednesday or Thursday for distribution to two facilities. And it really wasn't a major program. It was a fun program to do. We talked about issues, talked about radio, talked about life, talked about the things we all go through together. All that changed last year when the Lord just laid in my heart to do this daily radio program and focus more on preparing people for the things to come. And that is mostly what we work on here on the program, Truth to Ponder. Had a conversation oh, a couple of nights ago with a friend of mine. I'm going to try to bring him on the program, too. He lives in Nevis, which is part of the Federation of St. Kitts and Nevis. There he operates a FM Christian radio station, and he has a nice little reach, mostly on Nevis, and a little bit toward Basseter, the the capital city where the bulk of the population live. And and I was asking him, because you may know from other prior work, I'm not going to get into any detail, that at one time I was supposed to resurrect, so to speak, a high-powered facility that happens to be located in St. Kitts. And this was originally a radio station that was owned by TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network. And for some reason, about seven, eight years ago, when they got out of TV there because of satellite, they abandoned the radio station for all practical purposes, and they gave it away to another ministry in Florida that to this date has not followed through on putting it back on the air. In fact, it was five years ago back, if you go back to January, five years ago back in January, that I'd gone down to the island, I'd looked over the facility, and had planned to be back down there for that ministry to put it on the air. It just never happened, though. And it's a sad state of affairs because that AM station where it sits reaches all of the Eastern Caribbean islands. And if it was properly done, it could reach beyond into uh, even the Central Caribbean region and into the northern part of South America on the AM dial. 
And so that, that facility still sits and it breaks my heart. But this individual that I know is a friend of mine. He has this little FM and he could get more power if he could afford a bigger transmitter. And he could actually add a second frequency and tower location in St. Kitts. And so I told him that I would do what I can. He needs to really be have a 1,000-watt transmitter. They're about $4,000 in solid state. Would work fine. And maybe something in the three to 400-watt bracket uh, to go right above Mass Tier on a, on a hillside that could be run by solar. And so it would reach that nation. There are some Christian stations there. Uh, but believe it or not, this program is airing on his FM radio station, the Friday weekend version, airs on his Praise FM in, in Nevis every weekend. And for that, I'm thankful. So keep his station, Praise FM, in Nevis, in your prayers. And if the Lord is touching your heart to help them out, let me know and I'll get you all connected together. Right now, I want to go to that interview that I did with Jeff White when it was on your weekend show. And this is how the interview began with a little bit of music around three years ago. Pilot of the airwaves, here is my request. You don't have to play it, but I hope you'll do your best. I've been listening to your show on the radio. And you seem like a friend to me.
And welcome back to your weekend show. I'm your host, Bob Bierman. So glad you're spending some time with us this weekend. We're talking today about radio. One of the favorite topics on this program over the last, uh, well, almost going on four years now that we've been doing the program. Occasionally we talk about this business that we are in, radio, and in particular today, we're turning our attention to international shortwave. Many people claim it's a lost art, and in some ways it is, but it's still a very viable way to communicate around the globe. A lot of organizations, even some of the bigger ones like Voice of America, they they tend to want to use the internet more for their propagation of programming, but there's so many parts of the world they can no longer reach when they do that. International shortwave has always been known as as not having to be concerned about international borders as the signal travels from one part of the globe to the other. Many of you know this program is aired each week on WRMI, which originates out of Okeechobee, Florida, in the United States of America. And most of the audience on shortwave to this program comes from WRMI. I know that from many of the emails and letters that I get each and every week. Today in the studio with me is Jeff White, who is the manager and operator of WRMI, and I'm thrilled to have you with me, Jeff. I think this is the first time you've been on the program, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe a long time ago, but it's the first time in a long time. <laughs> long enough where I forgot, anyway. <laughs> Shortwave radio, you, it's been one of your passions and hobbies for a long time. How did you get into the hobby of listening to shortwave to start with? Well, you know, um, out in the lobby there, I've got some, some of my old shortwave receivers you've seen there. And uh, one of those was um, a, a little portable multiband receiver that my parents had back in 1972. I remember the year. Mm-hmm. And I was curious, it had all these bands on it, and I was curious about the uh, the SW band, you know, uh, I, I knew it meant shortwave, but I didn't really have a, a great idea of what it was. And so one night I just started tuning across shortwave and uh, I found the um, first station I ever picked up was um, Radio Prague from the Czech Republic uh-huh. in English. And I thought that was cool. Uh, the back, back during the Cold War, you know. <laughs> so oh, like, absolutely. And, and so that was particularly interesting back then. And so I started listening to it. Uh, it was a transmission on every night at the same time, and I listened to it every day, and eventually somebody moved the dial on it, and I couldn't find it again. <laughs> and I tuned to, uh, I think I found Radio Netherlands and and uh, Radio HCJB from Ecuador and various others. And anyway, I got hooked on, on shortwave radio that way as a, as a listener back in the early 70s. And back in the 1970s, as you were talking about, I can remember the first time I ever got my hands on a shortwave receiver about the same time. It fascinated me to, to listen to these stations from such a distance. I mean, I thought it was incredible at night in the United States getting an AM radio station from, let's say, Chicago to upstate New York or Nashville, Tennessee to South Carolina. But we're picking up broadcasts that come from Europe, from Asia, from South America, from even Australia back in the day. And the interesting thing about it was all all of them had, almost all of them, had uh, transmissions in English. Uh, And so that was kind of interesting. It it really was. And it got me kind of hooked. And then, of course, in my case, I went to work for a, a manufacturer of equipment to actually start building 
these kind of transmitters. And and that's when the bug really hit me, when I was building this stuff and dealing with some of the governments and even a handful of private operators around the world buying this equipment. And uh, I think the game changer came from, came from me in the 1980s when I bought a new car. And I bought it on the cheap without a radio because it was on the lot and I figured I could add a radio later. And one day traveling into Manhattan in New York City, I found an AM FM with cassette and shortwave. Uh And that changed a lot for me because in those years I was working for that manufacturer and I used to do a lot of driving, uh, especially after we moved the company to Georgia. And late at night, I would listen to shortwave as I'd be driving five or six hours and I was amazed how often you could pick up a station and listen for hours on end. And one of these stations I used to get quite often was, it was known then as WYFR. And you can't miss <laughs> that one. Uh, it currently WRMI today. Right where we're sitting right now. <laughs> and I never would have believed I'd be here. Matter of fact, we're recording this program at the studios of WRMI and and to listen to that and realize that they were targeting the world from Okeechobee. Mm-hmm. Now, you started Radio Miami International, and uh, your first transmitter was in actually down in Miami, correct? That's right, yeah. One 50-kilowatt transmitter and, uh, and one eventually put up two antennas down there, but uh, mainly beaming to the Caribbean and Latin America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, how many how many years were you in Miami doing that? Uh, let's see. It was about um, twenty, maybe twenty over twenty years, I think. Twenty years. Yeah. And and it's a different kind of radio than conventional, as we know it, AM and FM in the United States. It is a totally different animal, because mm-hmm. you know you're not thinking in terms of a local market selling you know advertising to a local retailer. You're really talking to an audience that may be five or ten or twelve thousand miles away. Yeah, uh, in our case, uh, we were in our commercial station, and people bought airtime. Organizations, I should say, bought airtime on the station, wanting to broadcast to different target areas. And the biggest target area for us in the beginning uh, was Cuba, because you know, being in Miami, a lot of uh, uh, Cuban exile organizations wanted to broadcast programming to Cuba, where they couldn't obviously get on on the air in, in within the country. Uh, and so that was a very big thing for, I don't know, the first um, 15 years or so. Uh, also, we did a lot of broadcasting to uh, to Haiti, and you know, to other parts of um, Latin America. That was our big big target area. Now, this station, when it was WIFR, and uh, it was operated by Family uh, Radio under uh, Dr. Harold Camping for many many years, and they built out here, I guess, in the 1980s in this location though it started up in Massachusetts years before on a station that had been through a couple of owners prior to uh, Harold Camping uh, before they moved here. And if I'm not mistaken, this is about the largest privately owned shortwave facility in the world, or at least the Western Hemisphere. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. In the Western Hemisphere, it is. There, there, there may be one or two uh, 
in the eastern hemisphere that are about the same or maybe in, even a little bigger but um over here it's it's about the biggest yeah uh, i mean harold camping uh, had big ideas uh, when he put this uh moved the facility from situate massachusetts down to okeechobee florida the idea was to have more space more for more transmitters and more antennas and uh, and he did it in a big way oh he did and and he his goal was to uh, cover and reach the world uh, with the message that he had, and and he did, from what I could hear when I used to listen, way back when in the 80s and into the early, early 1990s, he certainly did. Absolutely, yeah. Um, they they used to call it, I think, the the, the Radio Moscow of uh, of the Americas or something like that, mm-hmm. and because <laughs> it was on every free, you know on every band and dozens of frequencies. <laughs> and and those that are that are regular shortwave listeners can probably remember the hourly ID that had the trumpet music of "To God Be the Glory" oh, yeah. uh, every hour mm-hmm. uh, when they when they started um, a new frequency or, or a new program. Uh, that was their, their their station signature, and and that's something that's unique to shortwave. When you because a lot of the, some frequencies do operate twenty four seven, but there's some you only operate let's say five or six hours at a time, because you're trying to reach a specific target in the world during their prime time listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they have these what they call interval signals, a little bit of signature music that they'll put on for maybe five minutes before the the, the beginning of each broadcast, and and that identifies the station. So it, it's for people who are you know the shortwave listeners who are tuning around and they want to um, you know they know which station that they're that they're tuned to once they hear that uh, that interval signal. I can remember Radio Deutschwelle had a very unique signature sound at the top of each hour with that kind of a chime that they used, you know. I can't remember, I don't even know what the name of the music was, probably just unique to them, but (laughs) if you heard it, you knew it was Radio Deutschwelle coming on the air. Um, and and they'd be doing that for four or five minutes and then they begin the broadcast. Yeah, yeah. And, And they still do it today. They do, although <laughs> less of it because they're they're using shortwave less today, unfortunately. But uh, um, but yeah, they still have that uh, that interval signal. One of our mutual friends, because of the associations and groups that you're in between HFCC, which is the High Frequency uh, Coordination Committee, which is an international group that gets together to decide who gets what frequencies at what time of the day and and where you're trying to reach. And also, there's a domestic organization called the uh, National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, which he's a member of. And you know, in in my in my conversations and yours with Ray, he operates or the group he's with, they have a station in Zambia, which is in the eastern part of Africa that covers pretty much most of that continent and a few other surprising places at times around the world. It, he was sharing with me, and I think he shared this before at one of the meetings we were attending, this map of Internet coverage. Mm. You remember seeing that? Uh, yep. He would show yep. that. And and you see in, in the United States and Europe and the United Kingdom, you see a, a lot of brightness of where Internet is being used. But it is amazing how many billions of people in this world do not have any reliable internet access and let alone high-speed internet access so streaming audio or streaming video is something they can't do they're lucky to read a few web pages and get email 
on that map um, or, or that, that that photo of uh, the earth at night they're showing the internet access um, there are dark continents like Africa and much of uh, Asia and Latin America where where internet access is just not um, North Korea pr- real prevalent oh yeah sure and you many parts of China the, the line between North and South Korea very clearly yeah. and uh, even China has mm-hmm. many dark areas but there are multiplied well, millions upon hundreds of millions that just don't have that kind of access unless they have specific jobs where they're allowed to have access to Internet or live in certain places and cities. Many of the rural people, it's simply not an option. That's right. And even if they do have Internet, um, they often don't have access to high-speed Internet or Internet that's capable of, of listening to uh, audio streams. So um, and they, they depend on shortwave. And also in many parts of the world, you're going to find one other aspect. Many governments, and a lot of people, I think, understand this, but a lot of people don't. I meet young people that don't understand the concept that in some parts of the world, Internet is highly filtered What you for content, what you can and cannot see. I, I doubt in China if they're going to let you listen to programming from, let's say, the Voice of America. That's right, uh, and and the countries can block that, uh, just as they can. Um, I, I think uh, satellite uh, signals a lot, um, but uh, but shortwave, it's it's difficult. I mean, they can do what's called jamming. They can put something on the same frequency, but uh, because of the way shortwave radio propagation works, it's very difficult to 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 jam signals uh, effectively, and and so essentially. Um, uh, it is really the only method of direct communication from one country to another that, you know, where there's no control uh, in the receiving country over, over which you're broadcasting. I need to break in here right now in this interview. If you're just tuning in, this is the program Truth to Ponder. And what you're listening to is an interview I recorded back in 2000 and I believe... Uh, 18, 2018, with Jeff White, who was the general manager and president of WRMI Radio, Radio Miami International, based out of Okeechobee, Florida. This program airs on on that station a few times a day, uh, or a minimum of two times a day on a couple of days of the week. It is our, it's by far the biggest shortwave outlet we're using and it's one that i hope in the future to expand the number of hours and frequencies and even directions to to cover more of the united states and canada and other parts of the world so this is one of the things we are trying to do here at truth to ponder it's funny i was looking for as i mentioned earlier i was actually looking for a different shorter audio clip when i ran across this interview that i had tucked away in a folder, and I started listening, and I was thinking, you know, this would be something worth revisiting today on the program or at some point. And and I thought, this insight on shortwave radio, many of you already understand the value and the power of shortwave and, and why it is important. I believe in these increasingly changing times that we live. Look at what happened in the past 18 months. How our world has been turned upside down and will continue to be going through many problems and issues over the months and years ahead. 
And that's why we do this program, and that's why I believe it needs to be on shortwave. Being online is great. We do have a following as a podcast. We do have a following for the program in the online venue. But those online venues, as many people have learned over the past couple of years in in this time of cancel culture, political correctness, and leftist takeover, you may find yourself deplatformed rapidly. Not a day goes by that I don't get some email or news story about some individual or group that is thrown off forever from Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube. And search engine giants like Google can manipulate the results you get. I was reading an article the other day that Google is going to inject itself to say, you know, that what you're reading may or may not be true. Well, who are they to be the arbiters of truth? Same as the same with Facebook. They have people that are their fact checkers that are literally paid by outside influences. The whole idea, if you remember Facebook saying you couldn't talk about a lab in Wuhan as being the potential source of a virus because it was debunked. You're, you're spreading false information. Fact check, fact check. They did it for over a year. They, they threw people off. Twitter shut them down. So if you're building your ministry, you're building your news outlet on the backs of the tech tyrants or using their facilities, remember, look what happened to Parler. They had a great start, and then everybody pulled their plug from Google to Apple to then Amazon web servers. They were dependent upon the leftist-controlled tech tyrants, the God-hating tech tyrants, conservative-hating tech tyrants, and suddenly... They're dead in the water. And so I recognize the day's going to come when, in even doing this program, this program, I'm going to face that at some point where somebody's going to want to shut me down. And I'm going to get a notice from one of the carriers that uh, air this podcast. The day's coming that your podcast is no longer welcome here. You need to go somewhere else. And so I'm preparing for that day. And I I really think the day is going to come as we are moving into a time of tribulation, whether it's the great tribulation, as I've said before. I I don't dare make that assessment because I don't know. Tomorrow, we're going to talk a little bit about biblical prophecy and also some of the things happening in the background that make me question so much of the reality that we're being told really is, but really isn't. And that'll be on tomorrow's program. Right now, getting ready to take a break here. If you believe in the ministry of Truth to Ponder, why not let me know? You can go to the website, truth2ponder.com, truth2ponder.com. You can send an email message from there. I would appreciate it. You can also write us. And our mailing address is 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, our secure box, number 263. In Sky Valley, two words, Sky Valley, the state is Georgia, and the zip code 30537. Once again, 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, Lane, number 263, 
in Sky Valley, two words, Sky Valley, Georgia, and the zip code 30537. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Abraham Lincoln and Charlie Brown. Shalom Aleichem. It's the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now, in a particular Peanuts comic strip, Charlie Brown was asked if he'd like to have been Abraham Lincoln. Well, now, he answers, I'm having a hard enough time just being me. One believer made a similar observation. Put it this way. When I die, I will not be asked... Why were you not St. Paul or Luther or this or that great leader in the church? I'll be asked, why were you not yourself? And so it's written, I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Notice it says I, not somebody else. Only I can do all the things that God has called me to do. Nobody else can fulfill my calling, nor can I fulfill the calling of anybody else. You see, God made you precious and unique. Each person in God's image is precious and unique. So when you try to be somebody else instead of yourself, you become a second-rate imitation. When you try to fulfill somebody else's calling, you end up doing a lousy job of it. When you try to be somebody else instead of yourself, you actually sin against God because God didn't make you to be somebody else. If he made you to be somebody else, you'd be somebody else and you wouldn't be you right now. But if you are you and you're sure you're you, then the holiest thing you can do is be the best you, the most godly you, the most righteous you and on fire for the Lord you, you can be. And you can be because it's written, I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. You can, but nobody else can do it for you. Not for your life, nor can you do it for theirs. So forget about what everybody is doing and you focus on being faithful to God's calling for your life. Be yourself in his grace and your life, instead of ending up a second rate imitation, will be a first rate original. Now, how often do you get offered something priceless, wonderful, life-changing, and free. Here goes right now. Sapphires. It's as precious as it sounds, guaranteed to help give you a life and walk of joy and victory. And the incredible mystery of the temple doors, you'll love it. It's priceless and it's free. How do you get it? Easy. Just remember Jesus's real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and dial it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's it. You'll be so blessed. But call now. 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to join me in bringing salvation back to God's ancient nation, Israel, and all the unreached peoples on five continents with over a billion people. Just call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct, the nice Jewish boy at box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. It's a nice Jewish boy. It's box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Khan saying, Shalom Aleichem, peace be to you, my friend, in Messiah, or HaOlam, the light of the world. Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of the Wednesday edition of Truth to Ponder. I'm your host, Bob Bierman. A little bit different program today. Something that I ran across, wasn't planning on doing this at all, believe it or not. I ran across an interview I recorded with the station manager and president of WRMI, known as Radio Miami International, where this program airs. Jeff and I were talking back in the days that I had my former weekend program about shortwave in general. And 
for many of you that are shortwave enthusiasts, this is going to be some good information. Even though it's several years old, it's, it's, still, it's still very accurate. And I think the events of the last several years show the, the importance of shortwave radio even more so today than just three years ago. The world stage has changed. Tomorrow's program, I'm going to show you just how much it's changing behind the scenes. We're all so concerned about lockdowns and pandemics, we miss a lot of the other things going on in the background. That Christians in particular need to start making some serious preparations. And I'll explain why more on tomorrow's program. Once again, today I just want to bring you this interview. For those that listen as a podcast, uh, you may find this information fascinating and interesting and helpful in the things that you do and and i hope that as you listen to this you'll understand why maybe maybe it's not a bad idea to find yourself a shortwave radio they're not that expensive i've seen some radios as low as in like 20 dollars or less that can pull in wrmi and stations from all over the world And we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more uh, on a future program. I'll I'll give you some ideas of where to look for some radios. I'm not going to, I don't want to endorse any any one vendor, but but I really believe that if you listen to this program, even as a podcast, consider having in your emergency kit, because things do happen, having in your emergency kit a shortwave radio. Because you never know. We live in a very unstable world, and it wouldn't take a whole lot to interrupt things in your household for days and weeks, even months. So being prepared is is a very good thing. Right now, I want to return to the interview that I had with uh, Jeff White, uh, like I say, president and the general manager operator of WRMI, as we continued our we continue our discussion on shortwave from back in 2018. In the realm of shortwave broadcasting, there's probably, you. I think maybe you know the number, I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. How many shortwave receivers do we believe are operational around the world today? It's a huge number. It's in the billions, um, I think. Uh, nobody knows for sure exactly. A lot of these companies don't want to release figures, but uh, but certainly most of, the, of those receivers are being produced nowadays in China. And uh, China is producing apparently, you know, the hundreds of thousands of these radios uh, every day, and they're going all over the world. I mean, I've been to Africa and, and in marketplaces there, you can buy all kinds of different models of shortwave radios for as little as three dollars in some cases, mm-hmm. and and they're all from China. They're all made in China. And speaking of China, when it comes to broadcasting, it appears that they have ramped up the number of hours that they are either broadcasting directly on their own transmitters or acquiring time from where they relay through another operator. Is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting because you have um, the Western stations, the traditional large Western broadcasters like Voice of America, BBC, and Deutsche Welle from Germany and so on. Um, cutting back their usage of shortwave. Uh, and at the same time, China Radio International um, is is expanding. 
they have oh, you know, I don't know how many transmitter sites around China, and who knows how many transmitters altogether. But I mean, in the many, many dozens of of shortwave transmitters just within China itself, and then as you mentioned, relays that they have in many parts of the world as well. So uh, I know in when I've listened in, in Europe and Africa, sometimes you tune across the band, and the most prevalent station you'll hear is, is China Radio International. And not just in English and not just in, in French or Spanish or Chinese. I mean, all kinds of different languages. China Radio International everywhere. What are some of the other countries? Because being involved with the... Uh the HFCC, where you're coordinating at, for these various governments. And this is one of those unusual times when you get to sit at a table with governments you would normally think that a person from the United States would not even have any association with. But by this necessity, they get together. And I believe you have one coming up in the not too distant future. Am I correct? Yeah, in Tunisia, um, it's. Uh uh, a, a sort of a joint conference between the, our HFCC and the uh, Arab States Broadcasting mm-hmm. Union. And, yeah, you have, uh, for example, some of the major shortwave broadcasters are um, Iran, believe it or not, mm-hmm. uh, in many languages on, on shortwave. Um, they are, you know, they know the value of... Um, of propaganda or, or of uh, you know promoting themselves around the world, uh, just as the Chinese do. Um, other other large international broadcasters include Voice of Turkey, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and many of these, uh, if I'm not mistaken, many of these players today are based out of the Middle East, or at least their studios are. If they don't have transmitting facilities in the Middle East, uh, some are doing relay. Correct. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of them in the Middle East. Uh, Saudi Arabia is doing a lot, and and I think they broadcast uh, primarily in in, in Arabic. Uh, but um, uh, they're sure uh, Israel, interestingly enough, has has um, given up on uh, shortwave broadcasting, which is kind of you know interesting because they um, that's a country that really wants to get its its uh, voice out to the world and and it did for many years in many languages on on uh, call Israel it was called um, but uh, but other other Middle Eastern broadcasters and and there are a lot of stations that broadcast to the Middle East also. Uh, in Arabic, in Persian, in, in other languages, and of course to South Asia, Afghanistan, and Pakistan, and and all of the stands. <laughs> uh, not just the U.S. government stations, but uh, uh, a lot of other countries as well. Uh, it's a very, you know, part of the world that they really want to get to. As I recall from my days in building equipment, um, some of the shortwave stations that are on the air are not necessarily the super high-powered, like the Voice of America, that may use 50,000, 100,000, or 250,000-watt units, and some even higher than that. Um, As I recall, especially down in South America, you find a lot of use of what is called the tropic bands, which are around, you know, 6, 7 megahertz. And they operate with freak, with powers of a thousand or five thousand, ten or fifteen thousand watts to reach a region, and so I'm taking it that it, in many parts of South America, 
um, just because of population density, uh, terrain matters, and everything else, shortwave is still a very viable option in, in much of South America. Yeah, uh, countries like uh, Peru and Bolivia, um, not so much Ecuador anymore, but uh, uh, Brazil, uh, the uh, because you have the the Andean areas, uh, people in rural areas that, that you know can't get AM and FM radio stations, and and they listen to shortwave a lot. And so what will happen is the um, some of the major stations in, um, in in the big cities in these countries will ha- operate uh, shortwave frequencies, uh, r- rather low power, relatively low power compared to the major international broadcasters. But what they're trying to reach is the interior areas of their countries. Um, like I say, in the Andes Mountains, uh, in the uh, Amazon uh, area of, uh, of Brazil, for example, as well. I remember years ago building um, a number of 1,000 and 5,000 watt transmitters for one of the Catholic dioceses down in, um, and I can't remember, in, in South America. I cannot remember the nation, but there was about eight or nine of those units that were sold and shipped way back in the 1980s yeah. uh, because they were they, they were explaining that's the only way, mm-hmm. and it's a very efficient way versus conventional AM and FM uh, to reach into the countryside with the right kind of antenna systems. Yeah, it, it has dropped off somewhat over the past 30 years, I would say, but uh, but there is still a lot of, um, of regional uh, shortwave broadcasting going on in, in many of those uh, South American countries. Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, much of it on the tropical bands. And interestingly enough, here at WRMI, we are using two frequencies on the 60-meter tropical band ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, one going down to the Caribbean on 5010 kilohertz and another one pretty much the same area and into uh, South America, but on uh, 4980 kilohertz uh, because now the the FCC in the U.S. is allowing uh, us to use... um, tropical band frequencies which would be which were called uh, i guess out of band for standard shortwave because uh, they were kind of reserve frequencies but they're not as much used so we, we can now use them that's right yeah yeah and then and then they they also allow us to use um actually the out of band frequencies are the ones on the edges of the official shortwave bands on not just the tropical bands but in, in all the bands and uh, the FCC is allowing us to use these out of band frequencies as well uh, it, which is nice because believe it or not even though the number of shortwave stations has, has been reduced in, in recent years it's still difficult to find clear frequencies um, if you're a broadcaster looking for a frequency so it's nice for us to be able to go on the outsides of those bands where you where there are not too many stations around and we can get a, a good clear signal in. I would ask the question, what is the farthest away you've ever had people listen? But, you know, probably the completely around the world. So there's no way to even define that because yeah, uh, China, this, Australia, pretty this, much. The, the station has hit every continent mm-hmm. and virtually every location at some point. The future of shortwave, you know, a lot of people wonder what is the future of shortwave in the short term and the long term. In the short term, I, I'm like agreeing with you. A lot of governments and internet's you know centric younger people don't get it, um, but I think that a number of governments, especially 
you know, those in the Middle East and China, for example, they still see a, a value in it. And I don't think they'd be investing their resources in it if they didn't think there was a return on their investment. Mm-hmm. Here in the United States, we've been spoiled in most places with good Internet. Yet here in the United States, you and I both know there are a lot of places where we don't even have good Internet. I mean, right. I, yeah. I, I can I, I have a place up in the mountains in Georgia where it can be very good or very bad. And, and it's nothing you can rely on 100 percent of the time. And uh, in some of the more rural parts of the United States, you just don't have broadband yet it's it's it, we're not there that's right there are a lot of shortwave listeners in the united states we we're finding that uh, a lot here at uh, wrmi uh because we we cover north america very well and and uh, you know a, a large part of our audience i think is in the u.s and canada uh and they're uh, you know some of them are in urban areas where they may have internet a lot of them are in rural areas where where internet is hard to get <laughs> right here in Okeechobee internet is hard to get as yeah you know. <laughs> we know it, it's not easy and, and but you know one of the things that I've learned from doing my show and, and kind of learning the audience that I have they're not all just older like I am uh, some are substantially younger which is a nice thing and, and they kind of fall into what I call three categories People that are ham radio operators, and there are millions of ham radio operators in the United States and Canada and and all around the world, they generally own radios that pick up shortwave, and so they enjoy it uh, to listen from time to time. Uh, One person, I I remember I saw a letter a couple of years ago when we first changed uh, 9395 and started playing oldies for a while. The number of ham guys that said, I, I put you on in my you know, my ham room or shack, as they call it, and I listened for hours because you had good music that I can't find anywhere else. Then you have those that just listen as a hobby to find new stations. They call those people DXers. They, right. they love to find distant radio stations, and they spend a lot of hours listening to various radio programs. But I find another significant group out there people that are looking for an alternative voice for programming, whether it's music, whether it's news, whether it's information, whether it's religious, whatever the content, they listen because of the unique content that is often found on shortwave you don't find anymore on conventional AM and FM. And there are really not that many streams. They're not not really... and, And trying to find... It's easier to find something unique on shortwave than trying to dig through 50 or 60,000 stations that might be on the internet. You can't find them, Mm. you know, for what you're looking for. And that's probably the only drawback to online radio. There's so many of them. Um, No one station has any significant audience. Yeah, I I think that that, uh, in general, most shortwave listeners tune in to shortwave because they, they can hear something that they can't find anywhere else on their local media or, or you know, even on national media. Well, I know that the program that I do, people say would probably work well, and it does in a couple of areas on domestic radio, but it's still, it, it fills a need. And, you know, I, I've been kind of observing some what we call chat rooms and email exchanges from people that are shortwave, um, shall we say, I don't want to use the word fanatic because I guess I'm one of them. So, so yeah, we'll call it that. They we enjoy the we, we enjoy listening, and I know when I'm up in my home in Georgia, 
where I'm away from the city and everything else, that, and it's quiet, we can sit outside and really enjoy some some faraway broadcast. And I, and I know that some of the followers of one of the radio programs aired here on WRMI, which is Glenn Hauser's World of Radio. Uh, some of his people, you know, they they just call they have a they just call my show the weekend show. Everybody knows what it is who listens on, on shortwave. Oh, I heard the weekend show on this frequency or that frequency, and, and I'm realizing, yeah, that's that's, that's this program. Mm-hmm. So and, and so there, there's still a lot of people that listen. There's probably still millions of potential listeners, even in the United States and Canada. We, we don't think about it, but there are millions of those radios that still work. That's right. Yeah, and, and 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 sometimes a lot of them uh, come out when there's a crisis or some major event happening around the world. Uh, people remember, remember that oh, I have that shortwave radio uh, up in the closet there, and they'll pull it out and and uh, tune it in and 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 see what they can. They want to hear what's going on in the Middle East or whatever. Um, and it's it's amazing, and I'm sure you've noted the same thing. But I've seen lots of letters people write to us here uh, saying from people saying well, you know. I used to listen to shortwave, but uh, the other day I found this old Zenith Transoceanic or an old Halocrafters or an old Zenith, you know, some sort of an old radio. It still that still works. They, that they, that's right. That they get out and they turn it on and it still works and they rediscover shortwave. And they find that there's a lot of different voices out there <laughs> you don't find mm-hmm. on, on your radio. Look. Regular AM and FM radio in the United States today is plain, for the most part, boring. It, it's cookie cutter. You find the same thing everywhere. Uh, the same country music we can hear in Okeechobee, you can hear in Kansas City, Missouri, you can hear in Chatsworth, California, you know, and they all sound the same. They're all computers. They're all, you know, it, it's just marketed music. And, and you don't really find that many unique voices like you can on Shore Wave, which is what I think helps keep it alive. Yeah, and there are uh, uh, there are a few references uh, because a lot of times people say, "Where can I find out, you know, what kind of programming is on shortwave?" And of course, there's the the good old World Radio TV Handbook, which can be uh, obtained online uh, from a lot of sources nowadays. And, and then there's um, oh the Global Radio Guide and some others that'll give you hour by hour, frequency by frequency, what kind of programs you can hear, programs in English, and they'll have a list of transmissions in Spanish or French or whatever. Uh, and there, there is a lot of stuff on the air that, that you know people don't know about. And if they had uh, access to some of these references, I think they'd find uh, a lot of interesting stuff. And for those that want to find out what you can hear on WRMI, uh, just go to the website, WRMI.net. That's WRMI.net. And uh, the entire program schedule and transmitter schedule can be found right there under the tab that says programming. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's also another association that this station belongs to, and and you are very actively involved with the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, the NASB, and they too have a website if you'd like to find out some of the members, and that is shortwave.org. That's right. That's shortwave.org. And you've been involved with them for how long? Can you remember? Uh, let's see. Um, 
maybe um, twenty some years or more. Twenty some odd years. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the, the 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 privately owned shortwave stations in the U.S. Most of them uh, belong to the NASB, and uh, in fact, the um, uh, the organization is headquartered right here in Okeechobee. Right here in this building. <laughs> in this building. In this okay. very building. Or the file cabinets. And, <laughs> and everything else that goes along with it. Mm. Shortwave has been a fascination for me. And I, and I never thought in the 1980s as I got so interested in and uh, building that equipment. And, and it's some big stuff. And it was one of the greatest challenges of my younger life. I, I never dreamed. I, well, I did dream that wouldn't it be fun to be on the air on shortwave and and I never thought that dream would ever be realized, but by the fluke of circumstances in 2015, it happened. And here we are. You know, we it's only a few more weeks from now that we hit our fourth anniversary of doing your weekend show. It's hard oh, well. to believe. Four years, entering our fifth year in the beginning of March. So we're only about a, mm. a month and a little, about a month and a half away from the fourth anniversary. I want to thank you, Jeff, for taking some time to, to be in the program today. Is there anything you want to share with this audience about, you know, this station and, and, and your thoughts in general on shortwave? Well, I think um, shortwave, you know, some people say shortwave is dead, but uh, we know, and uh, I think most of you who listen to it know that it's not. <laughs> and uh, I think it probably has um, a, a good future ahead of it. I mean, as we've noted, there are you know, hundreds of millions of these receivers available around the world that will be around the, you know, for years and years to come. And as long as there's somebody uh, out there with, with these radios, somebody will be broadcasting to them, um, whether it's governments or private organizations like us or religious organizations or, uh, or cultural, whatever. Um, I think that the shortwave broadcasting will continue for uh, quite some time to come. And that's pretty much how we concluded our our time together, Jeff White and I, back in 2018. If you're just tuning in, this is the program Truth to Ponder. And what I've been sharing on the program today is um, an interview that I conducted with station manager, general, you know, general manager and president of WRMI, Jeff White. And we were just talking about shortwave in general. This is long before the pandemic or anything else, and things were relatively quiet and stable, <laughs> for what if you can believe that, on the world front. Yet, even then and to this day, back in the 1980s and 90s, when I started listening to shortwave and learned what it could really do, I've recognized it as a powerful voice, especially in uncertain times. And so I hope the information, some of it's a little bit dated, but I hope most of what you heard may be a help to you. I know a lot of you do listen on shortwave. I think the majority of people listening to Truth to Ponder listen on shortwave, and the majority of the stations, uh, the majority of listeners are to WRMI more so than than KVOH. And I hope, though, that that reach will expand over time. When things become more difficult on the Internet, as I've said before, shortwave is going to shine and be vitally more important than many of us want to recognize today. It's legacy technology. Yeah, I get it. I understand that. 
but it will survive better than some of the other technologies. Look, this summer there's going to be a another one of those things like an Event 201. If you remember, Event 201 was back in October of 2019, and, and it was a tabletop exercise on how the world would respond to a, a viral pandemic that killed people and shut down economies. And that happened, what, a month before the real deal hit? Kind of suspicious in my way of thinking. This summer, this coming month of July, this being the last day of June, hard to believe, where did the month of June go? But there's a, another tabletop exercise on cyber warfare and computer takedown. We saw a little bit of that earlier, um, not that many months ago. Remember when the Colonial Pipeline got, uh, shall we say, interrupted because of a ransomware attack? And then the same with some other industries. We have too many things in our world today that are connected that should not be connected to the internet. The Colonial Pipeline has been around for many, many, many decades long before computers long before the internet and it functioned just fine and now it like many of our other infrastructure including banking and you name it it's tied to the internet this radio program is also heard on the internet we also operate an online radio station but we also operate a satellite channel on galaxy 19. In some places, your connection to the Internet could be interrupted by a cyber attack. What are you going to do? And so I'm believing we need to look for alternatives to keep communicating one with another to encourage each other in the difficult times that are ahead. That's why I've had people say, why bother to be on shortwave? That's just old school technology. Who listens? Well, honestly, the bulk of the audience listens. I know many do listen as a podcast, but I also recognize radio is still a powerful medium and needs to be used. I mentioned at the beginning of the program, my friend in St. Kitts, he's got an FM radio station, a couple of few hundred watts. He's pretty high up on a hill and he does reach a number of people. I'd like to see his ministry expand. And I'm also thankful that he gives me airtime every weekend on his radio station that he was sharing with me the insights that I've been giving about my feeling about the pandemic has reinforced what God has laid on his heart as well, a wonderful Christian guy. And I really pray to have him on the radio program as a guest in the not too distant future. Do you believe in the work we're doing here at Truth to Ponder? Do you believe shortwave is important? You can send me an email directly at bob at truth2ponder.com. Bob at truth the number two ponder.com you can go to our website you can hear our radio station you can find out how to support us as well from the website if you'd like our mailing address to contact me it's very simple 21 berkshire b-e-r-k-s-h-i-r-e 21 berkshire lane number 263 we're in sky valley two words sky valley georgia and the zip code is 30537 Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's truth. 
the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.